5 p.m. East Coast, Feb 17, Market Call, live. I am Guy Adami. I'll be joined by the great Johnny Cash. More on that in a second. You'll get my drift as you see the great Dan Nathan. Today's episode is brought to you by our three presenting sponsors, Dan. FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right, all in one app. And, of course, Open Exchange because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. It has been a riveting two weeks doing 5 o'clock live. This is our last one this week. We are going to spare you on Friday, but I've enjoyed it. And, oh, by the way, we have a huge announcement, uh, not to speak like a past president, for you at the end of the show, suckers, so you got to stick around. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. You know, Guy, love is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring. And if you think about what's going on this last two weeks in the market, it's kind of been a ring of fire. You see wow. What I just did well there? done there, Dan. Yeah, buddy. I don't know. I, listen, you know, I mean, it feels like, you know, we're, you got this culmination of, you know, you and I doing this at five o'clock the last two weeks. I am excited to get back in the seat at Fast Money. I know the announcement that you're going to make has nothing to do with the fact we're going to start going back into the NASDAQ, which will be pretty cool. It's been a long time since we did that, huh? I heard that. That is exciting. Uh, it's been long overdue. We obviously went back for a period of time last summer. Yeah. It got derailed. We'll see what happens now. But what also got derailed is the market. And I'd like to say, listen, as you know, Dan, you've been with me a long time in terms of doing these things. I'm wrong all the time, but I think this one we got collectively right. You know, the market did what it did, that huge downdraft. We tested the October low. We're going to take a look at a little longer-term chart in a second. We had the bounce, and now here we are again, theoretically about to test that low we saw a couple of weeks ago and then subsequently that October low. The market does not look particularly healthy here. I know people are going to be quick to blame the situation, Russia, Ukraine. I get it. That's clearly part of it. But in my opinion, Dan, the die had been cast long before this. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you and I were expecting, you know, a bit of a pullback. You know, that late year rally up 26% S&P 500 more than the NASDAQ. It just felt a bit unnatural. And I know that, you know, all of these geopolitical things that seem to be riling, you know, market investors right now, both stock, commodity and bonds. And I think that's the real point here, Guy, is that this is not just a stock market thing. There's a lot of things going on. I will tell you, the stability of the dollar is welcomed at this point because if we did have a surging dollar for some reason and we had crude going the opposite way your gold just broke out a little bit um kissed 1900 or so there's a lot of things going on that would normally make macro investors very worried the one thing i'll just tell you is that you know we had that move i think it was on monday earlier in the week where it looked like there was a de-escalation of the situation with ukraine and the market ripped. I guess it was on Tuesday, right? We had a 2% move in the S&P 500. I think we're, today, after a really bad down day like this, are we subject to that if we get a headline? Yeah, but it feels like a one step forward, two steps back because the other things are at play here. You just mentioned that longer term S&P chart. We've seen the near term volatility over this past week, but look at that thing. And I know that that quote from CNBC.com quoting um, this bearish head and shoulders pattern, um, that's what the uh, technical analyst over at Bank of America is suggesting. Amanda Diaz drew some great lines over there. That's not a great looking chart. You could also draw an uptrend from the March 2020 lows and the throes of the pandemic, and we're kind of breaking that. We're rolling over. What's your take on the technical setup there? That's exactly right. That looks like a cart that Carter, Braxton, Worth could draw, and I think yeah. Bank of America is right to point this out, and better to point it out now than you know three or four weeks from now when it does happen and look in the rearview mirror. So they're trying to get ahead of something. 
that I happen to think is inevitable. And that's not, again, us playing Monday morning quarterback. We're trying to look, and we've been talking about this for a while. The bounce was uh, strong, to say the least, recently. But to your point, now it seems to be one step forward, two steps back. We're seeing that today. Now, in terms of headline risk or lack thereof, we could clearly see that tomorrow into a long weekend. There could be some headlines that said U.S., uh, Russia to meet next week to discuss situation in Ukraine. And I think a lot of people would square up ahead of what's going to be, obviously, a holiday-shortened week next week. Uh, but again, all the things are in place to t- send the market lower have been in place long before. If you look at that chart, I mentioned the October low, 42.50 or thereabouts. I think we're going to see it. I think we're going to break it. And I think inevitably it needs to get down to 4,000 for a myriad of different reasons. Yeah, no, I've seen a lot of strategists talking about a lot of these geopolitical headlines. And, you know, you've been kind of identifying this as one that you thought could really shake markets because of the implications in the energy market and the dependence of Europe, of Western Europe on Russia and natural gas. And that's clearly been the case. So I give you a lot of credit for putting that on the radar beforehand. I mean, listen, you know, one strategist that you and I track pretty closely, David Rosenberg, he tends to be a bit contrarian or at least against the field of many of his uh, other strategists, competitors at the bulge bracket. He tweeted out this morning, which I thought was really interesting. If Putin really wanted to invade, he would have done it already. He knows better than to blow up the Russian economy. Diplomacy will win out, and he's going to end up getting what he wants. Best not make investment decisions around this file. I think the one thing I would say about that is that there's lots of different moving pieces in this geopolitical mess. And if we get through this one, and you've been identifying this one also, is that who knows what's going to happen with China and Taiwan right after the Olympics. So the real issue here is a push out of some of these supply chain issues that the global economy have been dealing with. And one of the reasons why rates have been going higher, because central banks around the world are trying to battle this inflation. You're right about that. And who knows what evil lies in the hearts of men. And we mentioned this is live. So just to prove that it is, we have a couple questions, Dan. We're going to take live questions here. Chris Sinclair. What are the best inflation stocks you like that are not money or cigarettes? I actually made up money or cigarettes. He actually said materials or cigarettes. Money and cigarettes is an Eric Clapton album. That's a tough call. I'll tell you this, um, and I've said this for a while. Now, this is going to be a little dicey here, but as rates continue to go higher, I think you want to be in the insurers. Now, obviously, I would say gold miners. You said stay away from materials, but the insurers have been on fire recently. I think that's all a function uh, of rates going higher, Chris. So to answer your question... That's my play. Dan, I won't subject you to that. But real quick, we have a question from Greg. Tesla talk, please. Got to break the 200-day moving average. Uh, Greg, we've talked about Tesla, $900 being that line in the sand. That was an all-time high back in February of last year. We obviously got to 1240. We retested it, bounced up to 1150. Now we've breached. It does not look particularly good. I think Tesla might be a little broken here, and I think you could see a 700 handle in near term. Here's a chart we got to look at, Dan, because this is yields, very defined uptrend. What I've said for a while, Dan Nathan, is perversely, if the market were to sell off, you could see a flight to quality in the form of the bond market. In other words, yields going back down. And that's exactly what we saw today. 
Yeah, listen, you had a great call, 2% on the 10-year. You never wavered from that guy. We got there, and I think this one-year chart is pretty interesting. It was a great little flag that was kind of messing around with consolidating for a couple of weeks. And when the stuff um, with, you know, the Fed minutes and into that and the the expectations for greater than expected hikes, you saw that break out to 2%. And to your point right now, you know, that is the safe haven trade, right? If the world's going to go haywire, what do you do? You buy treasuries. What happens there? Yields go lower here. You and I have also been talking about the spread between the two and the 10. And if the Fed, you know, is being pushed around with a two-year yield that's north of one and a half percent, really kind of signaling the fact up from 50 basis points, what, six months ago or something like that, that the Fed is going to raise a quarter point, maybe five times or something like that. Well, you can do the math and that's where you get to that one and a half percent or so, at least that expectation of it. But if you started to see the 10-year come in a little bit, it might be suggesting that growth is slowing. And we're starting to see some of the data kind of weaken a little bit. You know, we've seen it in China. And China is the one. We spent a lot of time talking about our domestic economy. But what would we know since the financial crisis over the last 10, 12 years or so, when China cools out a little bit, the global economy cools out a little bit. And so that's one reason why I think we can see yields come back to that breakout level, about 175, 180. Well, that's exactly right, Dan. And as I say all the time, the cheapest thing one can do is pay attention. And I know you do that. And I've been saying, I want to say for the last couple months that I believe two's tens, two years versus 10 years can get to 30 basis points. And I thought that would happen in the form of one and a half percent in the two year. Here we are. And 1.8 percent in the 10 year. And that's where you think we're going. By the way, if the market, again, were to continue to sell off, that's exactly where the 10 year is going to go and it won't budge the two year. Then you have to start asking yourself what's going to happen in this in this world where the yield curve continues to get narrower and narrower, potentially inverts. I don't know, Dan Nathan, but I will tell you categorically, it's not particularly good. Next thing we got to look at, which is top of mind for everybody now, is the energy market. Now look at the OIH here, Dan. The lines draw themselves, as they say. And this is, I think, a five year chart which is significant. Obviously, the longer duration the chart, the more important the trend line. And we have just tapped onto or tapped up to a five-year trend line, a five-year downtrend line. Stands to reason we're going to take a pause here. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so Amanda Diaz drew those lines, and you got to like them there. It's pretty interesting. I mean, um, you know, that downtrend from the 2016, I think it was late 2016 highs in the oil services. Listen, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about oil stocks in general. I know that's your bag, Guy Adami. But, you know, when you look at just how damaged this sector is a relative to even those large integrated names that are very much back near their 10-year highs with that move in crude oil that got as high as maybe 95, 96 the other day. You know, listen, does this thing look like it has room to run if it gets through that downtrend? No doubt about it. You tell me what the fundamentals are with supply, demand, the OPEC plus, they keep making noise. What do we have if we have a rip-roaring economy of all this geopolitical stuff kind of settles down and we have COVID in the rearview mirror, I got to think that this thing gets back up to that breakdown level, which was about 300 bucks. That being said, if we are really at resistance here, not just the long-term resistance, but if you draw a line to that high from last year, which was about 250, that also is near-term resistance. Maybe you're going to move back towards 200, which is that uptrend. But Keeping an eye on crude is, I think, really important because it's important to that inflation conversation, right? And that's one of the things, higher gas at the pump. We know we have higher mortgage rates. We've got a lot of higher things going on right now. That would be the sort of thing that could cause the U.S. consumer to kind of you know, take their foot off the pedal a little bit.
We also have a question about Blackstone. Guy, do you still like Blackstone? The short answer is yes. The long answer is, look, it had that huge move up to, I think, 146, and then it made a beeline back to, I think, 104. And Dan called that one. The bounce was good. It was not good enough. And here we are at 124. Dan talked about Blackstone the last couple of days. And maybe this environment is not as beneficial to Blackstone as a lot of people would think. Listen, I still love this name long term. They still continue to be in all the right businesses. But given the tape, given what we're seeing, you could see the stock trade back down to yeah. one, 100 to 105, Dan. Yeah, but, you know, this is just – this stock doesn't make any sense to me. It's a great company doing a lot of great things, right? And they're getting into some new businesses, and that was one of the impetus for that big insurance deal that they did last year. And I know you were pounding the table on it when the stock was 50, guy, and it got to basically 150 late last year. Amazing. But when that stock started to sell off from its highs, it went from 150 – to nearly 100. I mean, like, that's kind of unnatural to me for a stock like this. And then when it got to 100 in January, just above that, it went straight to 140 in a matter of weeks. So to me, I just think that if you're going to have a higher rate environment, you're going to have capital markets activity cool out a little bit. I just think that the op, like, I just think the opportunity set for them is a little different than it was in 2020 and 2021. And then the, the valuation probably moderates a little bit. So again, I probably think this stock moves back towards those levels you just identified. We have earnings season, and we have a few we want to talk about. Walmart being the first one, Dan Nathan, because actually Walmart was one of the, uh, I hate the expression, but green shoots today. And probably <laughs> but for Walmart, I mean, that's 600 or so Dow points. You know, Walmart's unchanged on a day. You're probably talking about a down 700, 750 day, but you can't do that. I get it. Walmart earnings were good enough. Uh, we're right at that support line effectively. A lot of people would say we traded through it. I get it. I happen to think we're going to trade back up to that downtrend line, which probably comes in the form of about 142 or so. Um, valuation, I think, is okay. And the thing that really caught my eye was the fact that they have inventory, which means they're going to be well-suited going forward for their client base. If you look at the earnings release, that's what it suggests. Um, I would say in terms of margins, a little light. I think you'll see much better margins next quarter. Thoughts on Walmart, Dan? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, usually large inventories are not a good thing for a, a lot of, um, you know, retailers in general. It's the sort of thing that kind of bites them. I think we're going to end up in a situation with a lot of retailers this year. If all the bad stuff that the markets are really worried about just moderates a little bit, I think there was a lot of double ordering when it comes to a lot of electronic components. I think there was a lot of hoarding by retailers, um, especially retailers like Walmart, who have the ability to kind of press their suppliers a little bit. I'm not particularly impressed by Walmart right here. Yeah, it had a big move. It almost felt a bit defensive here. I think in a market like this where people are worried about war, which would mean exasperating, further exasperating supply chains, the idea of large inventories is maybe pretty good. I know our friend Danny Moses, who does our podcast on the tape with us, has been talking about this name as one of his favorite ideas. He does think it's defensive. He also thinks that they're going to get some really good leverage from some of the investments that they've made um, in logistics and online and that sort of thing. So to me, it makes sense. I look at that chart. I see a whole lot of nothing. I see um, the, the the trend line that you see to the downtrend. I also see a series of lower lows here, guy. And if that thing were to break 135, again, not particularly impressive. This is a stock that is expected to grow earnings and sales, probably low to mid single digits mm -hmm. forever. It trades at about a market multiple 20 and a half times. It's just not that compelling. If you're looking to do something in retail and you're looking to hide out a little bit, Maybe that's where you go. I don't know. Fact set, you know, if you look at the average rating, it's overweight. The average price target is 165. That's, you know, what, 15, 17% from here. So I don't know. Maybe you get back to those levels. I just don't find it that compelling.
they're doing a documentary, I think, on Netflix about the Lakers. Um, and that oh. team was just, I mean, it was just a ridiculous squad back in the day with James Worthy. And I mentioned that because NVIDIA was the Lakers right up until Thanksgiving. And then that show ended. So he went from being very offensive to being very defensive. And we talked about this name the last week, week and a half, two weeks leading up to earnings. And we said how they better crush it or you know what? You probably have that recent low of 219 absolutely in the crosshairs. Well, I thought, and we talked about it last night on Market Call, I thought the quarter was fine. I thought the guidance in terms of first quarter guidance, revenue guidance of I think $8.1 billion or so, which came in significantly higher than what the street was looking for, but only at the upper end of range in terms of what the expectations were across the street, wasn't good enough. And you see what happens, to your point all the time, when you trade close to 20 times revenue. You know, Guy, you say you're wrong all the time. And I you're am, really, true. You're really hard on yourself, okay? You're not wrong all the time. You were just wrong on what channel this Showtime, this Lakers, and it's not a documentary either. Adam McKay, the great Adam McKay, who directed The Big Short, which you've seen many of the I occasions. love The Big Short. Yes, okay? He's doing this. It's got almost like a, a, like a, I don't know, a docu-series on the Lakers of that period. It's going to be excellent, but it's on HBO Max, not Netflix. All right, let's talk about this uh, NVIDIA here. And, you know, to me, I really mean this very seriously. I think this is probably the most important thing that happened in the stock market this week. And what is that? That this company put up a very good quarter they gave great guidance flat margin guidance was not good enough and the stock is down seven and a half percent and you say it all the time good news bad price action a real problem and it's a real problem because this is a massive market leader when you think about just you know like all of the the sentiment in tech specifically around this name on a price to sales basis now it's below 20 times sales. I know that sounds crazy for a $600 billion market cap company here. Um, great company, great products are all the right places here. Great management. This stock needs to correct. It needs to get back at least to those October lows, just below 200 in my opinion. That's exactly right. And, you know, given the price action today and given the fact that the initial reaction last night before the obviously the market sold off today was to sell the stock off. So you had every opportunity to see a bounce in a name that had been sold off. You didn't see it. Um, it tells a huge story. So again, NVIDIA can't be a market um, barometer on the way up and then completely discounted on the way down, which unfortunately, I think, Dan, too many people do. Now, this is one I like, Dan's decimation. I mean, that's just great. It just rolls off your tongue. You look at these names. Uh, these are not small companies. And you talk about decimation. Well, here it is uh, lined up for you, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, and we were so excited about Robinhood. We put it in there twice. Thanks, AD. Thanks, AD. Um, no, here's the thing I will tell you right here. This is what's interesting about these. These are all household names, okay? And there are also stocks that I think a lot of retail investors were really excited about here. And this is just on today. This is today that these stocks were down. And I can't tell you that this is something that I recall in market periods too like too frequently over the last i don't know 10 years it takes me back 20 years guy when you know the dot com bubble was imploding and here's the most important thing that i'll just take away from my experience with these sorts of names once they break like this okay it takes years for them to pull back and you know we were listening to Kathy Wood on with uh Scott Wapner today on the halftime report Kathy runs the Arc Innovation Fund and her enthusiasm about a lot of these sort of innovative names that have absolutely gotten destroyed 
right. I think that Scott read some sort of stat that like, I don't know, 80% of her portfolio, that ARK Innovation are down at least 40 or 50% from their all-time highs. When stocks like this break, they don't come back quickly. It's just that simple, people. And we're going to keep using this expression, one step forward, two steps back. You're going to have short squeezes and they're going to be violent. But make no mistake about it, large parts of the market have absolutely crashed. And the likelihood that they're ever back near some of those highs anytime soon is not particularly good, guys. Sometimes you get too close to things and you know all your kids are stars and type of thing and you don't see the reality that's right in front of you. Unfortunately, I think that's what's going on. Fastly, by the way, it's like one of those great uh, past administration adjectives. I mean, it, we, we are fastly moving towards something. But with that said, Jim Cramer put out a tweet in Fastly, and this has been anything but fast. Again, over the last six to nine months, upper left, lower right, maybe culminating today in terms of a big volume date. But to your point, it takes a long time to recover, Dan. Well, you know, Mama always told me never to look too, uh, too close into the sun here, Guy Adami. Um, you know, I'm just going to quote that. I know that you're a big fan of the man-for-man man, uh, version of Blinded by the Light. I'm more of a Bruce Springsteen guy here. I had to do that. But, you know, this Fastly thing is really interesting. Maybe there's a lot of our listeners, our viewers right here, who have not really paid attention to this name. And this was, now it's only a $2.5 billion market cap. Okay, who cares? But when you have a stock that's now that small being sent out the way it did on a day like today down 33% and it was a much bigger stock. It was also part of a secular kind of narrative that kind of evolved during the pandemic. That's significant, okay? So yes, could this stock be up 50% in a day the way Snap was a couple weeks ago? It still won't matter. Do 50% on a $20 stock that gets you back to 30. That's where the stock was trading just a couple weeks ago. So let's not on those some of those up moves on stocks that are down at 75%, let's not get too excited on some of those moves. This stock will have a short squeeze at some point. But the other thing I think to keep a really close eye on, Guy, what sort of M&A are we going to sort of see? And I think that's what kind of Kramer is kind of alluding uh, to here. Uh, or maybe he did in another tweet. Are we going to start to see some people, some strategics, start looking at some of these companies, looking for strategic assets for stocks that are down 80% in you know a year or something? I don't know. If that doesn't come, lights out for a lot of these names. Yes, as I've mentioned a hundred times, if that doesn't happen, who has to bar the door, Dan? Katie, my man. Yes, she does. Again, not knowing who she is. Shopify was trading like it was going to be the next Amazon. I mean, everybody was talking about Shopify in the Thanksgiving for good reason. I mean, the stock was on cruise control. That stock has sold off now, and it's hard for me to even say this, more than $1,000, as you have pointed out. I mean, that's a, that is a huge number, and it's still a huge company in terms of market cap. But this is no bueno, Dan. And again, Broke that 200-day. Now we're multiple standard deviations away from the 200-day moving average. So you absolutely could see a bounce. But to the point you've made, any bounces in these names are probably going to be short-lived. Well, that's crazy. I mean, Guy, you and I, I think maybe on the market call, we're talking about its valuation on a price to sales when it was a $95 billion market cap. That was this week. Okay, that happened this week. We had that conversation. Now we're talking about this stock with an $82 billion market cap. I mean, this is real money. And so here's the other thing. I'm going to tell you, this is a bunch of BS. When all these strategists come on and they tell you about all this cash on the sidelines, cash on the sidelines. Dude, when you have cash being literally lit on fire, 
like this in stocks, the cash on the sidelines is not always so much like focused on the equity market. It's that same equity market where you bought a stock three months ago and now has been cut in half. So that's those are some of the BS narratives that you hear on Wall Street all the time. Guy, are you with me on that? And listen, this is a great company, okay? Like it was just not worth $150 billion or whatever the heck it was just three months ago. I am with you and I'm looking down because we have another viewer question as Uh-oh. they say. I'm trying to keep this thing live streaming. Yeah, and Warren Zevon, it's Warren Z. I threw the Zevon in. When would you stock like Zoom get interesting to you guys? I will tell you again, Warren, thanks for the question. I think the all-time high back in 2019 in Zoom was about 105 or thereabouts, and then it rolled over. Obviously, the world changed to their benefit in the preceding years. I think you can get back down to 105. And if memory serves, now I'm doing this from memory, I think we closed around 129 or so today, Dan, Nathan. And we have actually talked about Zoom a number of times. Next one we need to look at is Coinbase. Mark Mahaney has said this will be the bank for the metaverse. And he might be spot on, but unfortunately, one of the huge metaverse names, Roadblocks, has been getting decimated as well. That's part of the decimation of Dan, too. So that's giving it up here. We bring this up. It broke that downtrend line to the upside, but that was short-lived. False breakout, retesting the line. You better hope it holds that line or, again, lights out to the downside. Yeah, I guess the point here, and, you know, listen, Mark is, and we had Mark on our podcast a few weeks ago, and he wrote um, a great book called Nothing But Net. And I honestly, I think all of our listeners here should go check that book out. It really, Mark has had a front row seat to Internet One, Web One, Web Two, and now Web Three. And he's, he's going to make a proclamation like that about a Coinbase. I think you're going to want to listen to him. Fact of the matter is, this company went public through a direct listing IPO um, last year. The stock's been volatile here. It's really, we're going to look at a chart, how it track the price of Bitcoin um, almost to a T over the last six months. That's not a great technical setup, though, that we see right there. Um, and it really is tracking Bitcoin in a way that, you know, you make your you make your decision. You want to get exposure to crypto? You can buy Coinbase. You can buy Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin can't get taken over. Coinbase can. But Coinbase has a $41 billion market cap. And I know, Guy, you track some of these exchanges. CME, which is a great sponsor of ours on uh, uh, Market Call and obviously our podcast on the tape. I mean, do you think that Coinbase deserves to have 60% uh, of the market cap of a CME? I don't think so, but Coinbase is probably a great brand. It's a great on-ramp for a lot of people who want exposure to crypto. They just launched NFT wallets, but you tell me on valuation. That's exactly right. And that's the point that I was making months ago when we actually, I think, went back briefly to the NASDAQ. And then subsequently, I said, look, if you like Coinbase, knock yourself out, but there's no way it should be trading at a larger market cap than the NASDAQ. And I think you make a good point. Now things have sort of corrected themselves. Now, I know a lot of people out there say, wait a second, it's five o'clock. It's Thursday, typically on Thursday. Who do we hear from? You know who we hear from. We hear from Butters. Well, here we go. One for the road, suckers. We got an earnings insight from the great Mr. Butters. And this is interesting, Dan. What this says to me is exactly all the things we've been talking about. Liz Young has brought this up as well. We are now in a market where you have to sell rallies, not buy dips. And if you look at this and read between the lines, that's exactly what this is saying. 
Yeah, and I'll tell you this. I mean, I, we love Butter's work. We really appreciate him giving us a, a preview of his uh, earnings insight that drops Friday morning. So definitely subscribe to that. I get it to my inbox. They also fact set tweet um, a lot of uh, Butter stuff and many of their other strategists. They are at fact set. So check that out here. But this is really actually interesting because into earnings season, I think a lot of the insights that we had over the last month or two, Guy, they seem to be kind of positive. You know what I mean? And so I'll just say this. When you see this sort of turn towards the end of an earnings season, I think it's really important um, to keep an eye on. The other thing I'd say is that, you know, we've gone through this period over the last two years where there's been easy compares, there's been really hard compares. I think we're going to go from a period now going forward in 2022, where some of those comparisons are going to look really bad if you see companies starting to guide down, okay? So you saw companies beating relative to easy or hard compares to explain those away. But now we're at this period where the S&P was up 26% last year. It's down about, I don't know, like six or seven or eight percent or so on the year right now. For companies disappointing, they're going to get punished. And that's the other point I wanted to make about NVIDIA. And you and I just said, this is one of the best stories in the entire stock market for the last five years. They just put up a great quarter and great guidance and the stock sold off seven and a half percent. And that's before the market got really ugly. So keep an eye on these trends. They're going to be really important as we get into Q2. Market is rewarding positive EPS surprises less than average. Remember that, people. It's a paradigm shift. I can't spell paradigm, but I know that it exists. That's it, Dan, for today's market call. 30 minutes on the screws, as they say. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, FactSet, SoFi, and Open Exchange for helping this come together at 5 o'clock. And you know what? It's been yeoman's work. Can't spell that either, but I know it has been. If you want more, more market call, tune in again on Tuesday. Ready, Dan? Yeah. At 1 p.m., we're moving to a new time. That's a special announcement. 1 p.m. Eastern time, market call Tuesday. So mark it on your calendars, suckers. We'll see you then. See you then. Have a great long weekend.